welcome to the triumphant return of the Best of the Left podcast, with clips today from Democracy Now!, The Young Turks, Ring of Fire, Rachel Maddow, and Tom Hartman. The U.S. continues to lag behind the rest of the world when it comes to affordable and accessible broadband service. This, according to a new report by the media activist group Free Press, the Consumer Federation of America, and the Consumers Union. The report also finds, contrary to the picture painted by the government, there's no sign that the digital divide in this country is closing. The authors of the report, Derek Turner, said yesterday, quote, President Bush set a goal of bringing universal, affordable, high-speed Internet access to every household by 2007. We're nowhere close to reaching that goal, yet the Federal Communications Commission seems content to ignore the problem, manipulate the data, and pretend we're moving forward. Meanwhile, also on Tuesday, the FCC held renomination hearings for FCC Chair Kevin Martin. Martin was appointed by President Bush in 2001. I'm joined now by FCC Commissioner Michael Copps. Welcome to Democracy Now! Thank you for having me here this morning. It's good to be with you. Let's talk about this report that is criticizing the FCC and Congress around broadband, saying that the United States is far behind, remains 16th in the world in broadband penetration. Fourteen other countries saw overall, higher overall net growth in broadband options. The U.S. has the fourth highest level of students who've never used a computer among these nations, exceeded only by Turkey, Slovakia, and Mexico, and that population density is not a significant determinant of broadband penetration. The most important factors explaining the digital divide are household income and poverty. That's a startling indictment, isn't it? Uh, It mirrors a lot of what I have been saying. And it's worse than that, really. The uh, ITU, International Telecommunications Union, is the uh, international body that ranked us as number 16. They now have a newer study out, even, that's somewhat more nuanced that goes into uh, cell phones and uh, home computers and everything. And you know where we are on that list? 21, right behind uh, Slovenia and Estonia. The reason is that we do not have a national strategy to get broadband out to our people. I think we're probably the only industrialized country on the face of the earth that lacks a coherent national strategy to build this infrastructure. And it's, uh, it's damaging for all Americans. It's damaging for small businesses who are unable to compete. And most of all, it's damaging for uh, minorities and diversity communities, people who live in the inner cities and people who live in rural America, where the market, I don't think, is just going to automatically take all of this infrastructure. So what is the FCC doing about this? Uh, not enough. We continue to uh, analyze this in, in old-fashioned ways. We're still talking about broadband as uh, 200 uh, kilobits. Uh, we satisfy ourselves that broadband is being reasonably deployed around the country by looking at a zip code, and if there's one business that subscribes to broadband in that zip code, we say, whoopee, everything is fine and dandy. Broadband is being deployed. So uh, we have to start looking at it and learning what other countries are doing who are, who are cleaning our clock on this. We have to uh, look what some of our own communities are doing when the market doesn't get there. They're going in and building their own broadband networks to get this out to their people because they understand in this digital age, if the kid living on the farm or the inner city does not have access to high-speed broadband, he's going to be left behind, and we're going to end up with a digital gap 
in this new century of 21st century technology that's going to be worse than the digital gap we had in the 20th century in the days of plain old telephone service. And the corporations that are fighting this and fighting net neutrality, fighting community internet uh, saying even if they don't wire a community, this happened in mm -hmm. Pennsylvania, um, that you can't have the free yeah. wireless yeah. Internet. This is not how we built America. If you look at every infrastructure we've had since uh, the beginning, whether it's uh, getting settlers on, on the land or getting produce to markets, business and government with an active role for government built turnpikes and roads and river and harbor improvements. After the Civil War, when we became a uh, transcontinental country, we built the Transcontinental Railroad. We had even the highway system under uh, Eisenhower in the uh, 1950s. Uh, all of these things, you had a partnership between private sector and public sector and a national strategy and a national goal, and we got it done. Now here we are in the 21st century. This is our new infrastructure challenge, getting all Americans on the information highway. And we're just going into it without a strategy and without that kind of cooperative partnership that built the United States of America. Well, what about this issue of net neutrality and uh, corporations, many people feel, the telecoms, um, writing the legislation? We need a, an explicit principle of non-discrimination. We made some progress. I pushed very hard last summer to get... Uh, a statement of Internet principles and net neutrality at the FCC. It wasn't everything I would have liked. It's not really enforceable. We need to go beyond that now and make an explicit statement that we're not going to tolerate discrimination on the Internet and then make the Federal Communications Commission the honest umpire in all of this to handle complaints and give it the authority to do so. Some people don't want to do that. They want to just let, let all of this continue uh, with the happy notion that the marketplace is going to solve everything. The genius of this Internet was its openness. You have the dumb uh, pipes and the intelligence on the edges. What some of the network owners are trying to do now is to put the control and the intelligence in the pipes and make us all dumb at each uh, edge, basically. That's what it comes down to. And that's just a, a denial of everything that the Internet is supposed to be. This is a wonderful, dynamic, open pro-democracy uh, infrastructure that we need to sustain and we need to nourish it and we're not getting it done. And how do people enter the debate up against these massive, um, uh, you know, extremely well-financed corporate campaigns? I'm convinced that everything that happens, and you know this better than me, is, is uh, grassroots action on the part of uh, democracy-inclined citizens across this country of ours. That's how we checked the media ownership rules that Chairman Powell tried to uh, foist on us uh, three years ago. Uh, that's how the citizens can have uh, input into this debate now. Contact the FCC. Contact your, uh, your representatives. Uh, talk it up on talk radio. Write op-eds. Talk to your family. Talk to your neighbors. Make it that grassroots issue. What is the biennial rule review, uh, Commissioner Copps? And can you talk about media concentration overall? Well, they've changed it now to a quadrennial review so that every four years we're supposed to look at our media ownership rules and see if they are serving the, <laughs> the public interest. Uh, we did this last in 2003. And Chairman Powell was uh, adamant on pushing through, and he did this with his majority against uh, my opposition and Commissioner Adelstein's uh, opposition, to such an extent that one big company could own, in some markets in this country, uh, three television stations, eight radio stations, the newspaper, already a monopoly in most cities, cable channels, cable network, and, and the Internet uh, provider. 
How does that serve localism and diversity and competition? How does that nourish the creative genius of the United States of America? How does it serve the public interest? The people own the airwaves. There's no broadcaster, no individual, no enterprise in this country that owns an airwave. You own the airwaves, your listeners and viewers own the airwaves. And when people realize that and are reminded of that, they get very proprietary about them and they see the localism and the diversity that's been, uh, that's been sacrificed. No local entertainment, no creative genius, everything on the playlist and the homogenized entertainment and more damaging still what happens to the democratic debate. No political coverage, no teeing up of controversial issues, no clash of uh, really give and take and antagonistic opinions. We've lost a lot. Our media are supposed to be serving democracy and encouraging democracy, and they're not. Public comment period is open now for what? It's about to close. Uh, it's about to close on the media ownership uh, for, uh, on September 22nd, which is very close, and there's an, another 60 days for reply comments. But until we vote, uh, we are we are open to receiving communications, and emails, letters. And how do people communicate with you? Uh, you can go to FCC.gov uh, uh, to, to the home page of the FCC. will tell you how to do it, but just write to the FCC or email uh, FCC.gov. Or, Matthew or Lazar has, a, has an interesting uh, website, LazarLetter.com, where he posted that Clear Channel is asking for a lifting of the um, limits mm -hmm. on what a radio, what a communications company can own. They have now mm -hmm. over 1,200 12 radio stations. stations. How does that work? They appeal to you? They petition? Uh, yes, if, they, if we change now, if we go through this new ownership proceeding that's up for grabs and all these rules could be changed and we could lift the caps and there will be another great wave of consolidation. I don't think anybody really anticipated in Congress in 1996 when they changed the law that we would go from a situation where the biggest, uh, the, the most stations that one company owned was maybe 75 at that time to where you've got 1,200 now. But there could be, uh, there could be a lot more. So we're, we're getting into this situation where we have uh, distribution controlled by a very few companies and now, uh, very different from what it was 30 or 40 years ago, they own the content too. And when you combine content and distribution, I think John D. Rockefeller told us what that was, was monopoly. We have only 10 seconds. I want to ask you about VNRs, uh, when they're going to be identified as that, video news releases instead of news pieces, and the paying off of journalists, government Well, we, we have a journalists. proceeding going. I hope we put it on the front burner. We're struggling to get it on the front burner. When the American people see something that's not produced by a station, they ought to have full disclosure, and it ought to be apparent to them that they know that this is being produced by somebody else. And if there's consideration being received for it, they certainly have to talk about that. Big public hearing in Los Angeles, when? On October the 3rd in Los Angeles, media ownership, very important. It's going to be the first of a very few, uh, probably half a dozen hearings that the chairman has uh, agreed to hold on media ownership. FCC Commissioner Michael Copps, thanks so much. I see this story about Fox News Channel paying out something about a discrimination suit. 
Now, that wouldn't happen to be a sexual discrimination suit, would it? Shockingly, it would. And huh. you wouldn't think it with the Family Values Network and all. But, uh, y- you know, believe it or not, even at Fox, uh, there's a new vice president. I don't know how to pronounce his name exactly. Joe, I think it's Chalemi. Mm-hmm. And uh, because of his wonderful behavior, the network has agreed to pay $225,000 in a settlement to end a sex discrimination suit. Now, the good part, of course, is what he's been accused of saying, which being that you guys are on satellite radio, I can actually say. Yeah, go ahead. Bring it on there. I, know, I mean, I know it's a family show and all, but I well, earmuff why the, not. Earmuff the kids. You've obviously missed the last hour. <laughs> oh, I have. Damn it. Okay, here we go. Chalemi, Chalemi routinely used gross obscenities and vulgarities when describing women and their body parts. For example, a woman's breast, referring to a woman's breast as tits and declaring that something was as useless as tits on a bull. He also told the women who worked for him that they had put his cock or dick in a chopping block. Jesus. Telling women not to be, quote, a pussy, but to be, quote, a man. Uh, also referring to them as bitches. I don't know if he threw hoes in there, too, for the hell of it, but... Bitches. Was, uh, is Chalemi, is he also a part-time rapper? What's going on here? <laughs> I, think he, I think he is, that's right. I think he hangs with Snoop. What Did he got? call any of these girls sugar tits? <laughs> You didn't get sugar tits in there, but uh, I think that's they, they stopped mail just before he crashed into the station. Because so that's could, going around the office lately. Do I have a case? Uh, I would say you you just may, but I'm not a lawyer. Well, watch you. out! I'm not even that smart. So. You know, I have I, I I have you know I I debated my wife often, especially the case with the guy. The guy runs American Apparel, who's in a significant uh, uh, sex discrimination lawsuit because he's trying to apparently have sex with everyone at the company, and he walks around naked and shows and, and masturbates in front of employees. But oh, my the, God. But the whole company sort of sells <laughs> sex. So it's a little tricky, and it's an artistic environment, but the guy is in frickin' sane. Um, and, uh, Do you really think that's tricky? No, no, that stuff is apparently, but like most people love, but, he, but it's in the handbook. They're like, look, this is going to be a, it's going to be really sexual and really open. Get used to it. I would probably draw the line at the masturbating, masturbating in front of people. Well, that's yeah. not one of the allegations. <laughs> Just before that. So, you know, right before Other people that. are talking about that. That's not a specific allegation in the lawsuit that he's facing. But it, it, the guy's nuts. Anyway, um, uh, so I agree with you. But it, it's like you get into a debate, like, uh, you know, as useful as, as tits on a bull. I'm going to let that one go. Yeah, that one, yeah, that I, one goes for me. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I started off with that because I figured, you know, you, you get with him, you start with right. that, and it gets to the, to the worst one as you go on. Oh, I get it. Tits on a bowl. I yeah. thought it was on a bowl. I didn't get it. I was. I thought she was, he was referring to somebody at work. Okay, yeah, that's not bad at all, actually. I let that slide. No, I don't think that one's so bad. I, I, you know, dick or cock and a chopping block, it's a little... But when you start saying to women, saying to different women, don't be a pussy. Yeah, you're right. It's on the edge. I would avoid using the the you know the the the, the c the word. word. Yeah. See, I'm so jaded. I mean, because every every work environment that I've had has always been really open, and everybody, um, especially the current one. Right. Definitely. Actually, this has been the tamest work environment I've worked in. I mean, everywhere else, you I mean the sexual harassment just like flies around. I mean, you just like pick it up in the air as you walk by the room. So it's, it's not so bad here. No, not not bad at all. All right, Jill, have sex with me, or you're fine. <laughs> let's well, just go. Let's just go right over the top. No, Ben, I can't. No, all right, you're fine. I was just going to say, Jill, if you're at Fox and you got pregnant, uh-huh. then Chalemi would probably say to you, 
that your tits were fucking huge, and <laughs> they were, quote, like cannons or, quote, melons. Oh, is that what he said? Yeah, he said that, oh, too. That's, that's awesome. awesome. Now, this guy, by the way, works at Fox News Channel. He's a vice yes. president there. So then it, he probably, in the course of his work, after saying your tits are fucking huge, he turns around to O'Reilly or whoever says, all right, I want to see the next story on family values. Exactly. Like, like okay. but not kidding, with, like, straight face. You I mean, because that's what they do. Stem cells are murder. As, uh, yes, stem cells are murder and Terry Schiavo and bringing morality back into the country. Right. And, and then he turns around and says, hey, you bitch, you go work on that family value store. Right. Okay. I love Fox's channel. That's why you got to love them, frankly. Yeah. yeah. You know what? As long as they don't touch me, I don't care what they say to me. Mm-hmm. I care about the hypocrisy, and that's why we do this segment, you know, because... Yeah. Because, you know, look at what they say on air, look at what they say off air. And, of course, uh, you know, this was pre-our segment here, Republican Sex Debates, but the most infamous example of that is the falafel story with yeah. Bill O'Reilly. You know, he's, oh, family values, love my wife, it's all about keeping the family together, those damn gays are ruining marriage. And then he goes and talks about smearing falafels all over his body while he's having phone sex with a woman that he works with that works underneath him and isn't even participating. He completely ruined Mediterranean food for me. Exactly. I've I, never I will never at see a falafel the same way again, and I'm kind of angry about right. that one. I mean, how does a guy like that get the nerve to come back on TV and talk to me about family values and morality? Because right? sexually, I mean, because I mean, nobody really uh, on those shows condemned Bill O'Reilly for what he did. I mean, this whole sexual harassment thing kind of gets brushed under the carpet. You know, you don't see sexual harassment stories on those news channels let at me all. Ask, let me ask one quick question here. It's kind of a, you know, a rhetorical question, but everybody at home think about this, right? Imagine if Fox News Channel got news of and got a tape of Dan Rather doing that. Right. Okay. Oh, God. If they had tape of Dan Rather having phone sex with one of his producers when she wasn't even participating, and he kept talking to her about what he wants to do and smear her body and naked and in the shower, and Dan Rather's married, what do you think Fox News Channel would have done to Dan Rather? Well, knowing what happened to Bill O'Reilly, they wouldn't run it. <laughs> exactly. The odd thing would be listening changed. to Dan Rather uh, uh, sort of trying to get off while saying, just to say courage. Say courage, baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. I mean, in the O'Reilly case, you have to also remember in the end, you know, he made sure to get it, get the whole thing shut down by settling. Mm-hmm. I think the best thing that Keith Overman ever did is when he offered to actually take money out of the bank and pay that woman not the amount settle. that he was right. offered in a settlement to not settle. <laughs> then maybe we would have seen some of the, the wonderful uh, uh, stories about Mr. O'Reilly and, and his loofahs, too. Mm. Absolutely. Now, quickly, uh, uh, Cliff, and we're talking to Cliff Schechter. He, you can read about this stuff uh, on uh, his uh, when he blogs on America Blog on Fridays on Cliff's Corner. Um, Cliff, let's talk about Richard Malinscape. He is the the godfather of this conservative movement. You want to talk about family values? This guy is it. I mean, he doesn't just talk it. He walks the walk. He ta- he's he's the guy who gave two million dollars to the Arkansas Project to investigate Bill Clinton's personal life. Created the Arkansas Project. That's right. Yep. And and he's the guy that's went into Bill Clinton's personal life to find anything wrong with him at all morally and show that to the American people because he cares about family values. So you're not going to tell me, Cliff, that Richard Mellon Scaife has got issues with his family. Of course, I'm not going to tell you that because that could never happen to a conservative. Oh, Wait, right. Uh, Richard Mellon Scaife, the the good upstanding Pittsburghian that he is, or whatever one calls him there. He um he right now found a way to use his money to get uh, the courts to seal his second divorce case. Apparently, his wife showed up at his house. Um, this part did get his, out. His and, estranged wife. 
He's a strange wife, yes, at this point. They haven't gotten divorced yet. They're right. in, the, in the process. This is his second divorce he's in the process of, by the way. Um, and uh, there was an altercation while she was trying to reclaim a dog from the home. I'm not sure what Rick Santorum would say about that. but uh, <laughs> Maybe it was a rescue operation. It, it might have been. So during that time, while she was doing that, he had her forcibly removed. Um, since then, and it's interesting because the Pittsburgh City Paper did a search of nearly 5,500 court cases there, and the only one, the only divorce case that had been sealed was his. Mm-hmm. And the only conclusion they can come to is because he has so much money, which about $1.2 billion, of which uh, in, in 1999, the Washington Post estimated that in then-current dollars, he'd put $620 million into right-wing infrastructure. $620 million into right-wing infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and you can imagine from the Heritage Foundation to, you know, that guy at Fox News that uh, likes uh, people, to, people to put his cock on the block. Mm-hmm. You know, he's gotten... Uh, he's I wonder how he feels too. about the estate tax. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but this is a guy, by the I mean, look, think about it. $620 million to push this idea of family values. And Cliff just told me he divorced twice. What, does he know gay people? Is that who ruined his marriage? It, it must be. The, the gays are coming, as they say. Yeah, he is the guy who pushes that agenda of the gay people are going to ruin your marriage. Hey, Richard, apparently it doesn't take much to ruin your marriage. Apparently you do it pretty well on your own. Because yeah. you, you've uh, now buried two marriages on your own. And, of course, he's, he's got money. He tries to cover it up. But it's obvious what's happening here. Look, uh, how why don't we outlaw, we do, do an amendment to ban divorces. So uh, serial, you know, um, marriers, is that a word? Uh, yeah. Like Richard Mellon and Scaife can be barred from ruining their marriages. Are we not, you're not allowed to get married like after two times? Like we two is your cutoff point? Amendment? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I just say once. That's it. You got married. It's a, uh, they keep telling me about how holy it is. If God put it together, you as a mortal man can't rip it apart. Go back to your first wife, Richard. Then we'll have a conversation about the rest of your family values. The right wing would just, fall apart under that amendment. You just passed up an opportunity to use the word asunder. <laughs> and I've used up the, uh, passed up the opportunity to call Richard Melonscape Dick like eight times already. <laughs> All right. There's no end to these guys, man. There's no end to it. They just they they ne- they think you're all suckers. They think you know, hey, we'll feed this all these guys a bunch of bullshit, and we'll feed it to them day in and day out, and we'll do something completely different, and then we'll laugh behind their back. Yeah, we'll look, laugh our asses. Richard off. Melonscape doesn't care about Bill uh, Bill Clinton sleeping with Jennifer Flowers or or Monica Lewinsky or any of that. He doesn't care about anything. I tell you what, he does care about. He cares about the estate tax. Uh, and, uh, and and that's what these guys are interested in. So don't fall for them because they got the same skeletons in their closet as everybody else, and in fact, sometimes more. Absolutely. Because we don't. Because so many people on the other side don't even put it in the closet. Upon which I stand, and I come here to talk. I hope you understand The green eyes Yeah, the spotlight Shines upon you And how could Anybody Air America is what they're doing is they're giving people another source, and, and that's the reason why I called was the fact that the average person doesn't get any news. 
with the exception of Keith Overman, you know, holding up the torch for us. But Bill uh, Mars, with, Bill Mars out there for you. You know, Bill Maher, but yeah. he's on HBO, so yeah. if you don't have that, you don't get him. But yeah. he is fantastic. Yeah, but we, we need people like you guys in Air America to tell the truth. And uh, I was hoping that maybe with you guys' influence that you could maybe talk somebody into, like George Soros or uh, Buffett or people like that that could well afford maybe even Bill Gates to start our own network so that we can get some uh, honesty out there. You know, Kevin, it's been a difficult, I don't know how to explain this, but it's been a very difficult fight to get leadership from the people that should be very progressive in the way they view the media. Uh, if you follow the history on this, it's it's a little embarrassing for progressives when you compare our ability to respond to this media fight compared to what uh, the neocons have been doing to us since the early 70s. Uh, Bobby talks about in his book, Crimes Against Nature, he talks about the sagebrush rebellion somewhat. It was more than just taking over corporate America and, and implanting corporate America into government. It was more, more than just about deregulation. It, part of the plan was to take over the media. And it, uh, Rupert Murdoch was no mistake. Uh, the rise in conservative NBC was not a mistake. Fox News is there for a very specific reason. This has been on the table for a long time on the right wing. Now, the bad news is, and I hate to say this, but I've been doing this for two and a half, both Bobby and I have been doing this for two and a half years. And from my perspective, I'm seeing very little response and actually any help from the people that you would expect us to get help from. People like uh, Soros Group or the Lewis Group or... Uh, Democracy Alliance, those people, you're just not seeing them respond and understanding how important it is to have an infrastructure. Bobby may disagree with me on that, but I, I'm pretty militant, uh, angry about the unwillingness for the well, left wing. You know, they, I'm, I'm with you 100 percent on that. The right wing made a deliberate, concerted effort over the past 40 years to take over the media. Since Barry Goldwater in 1964, and they started using this phrase, the liberal media, the liberal media, and all of these right-wing nuts from you know Joseph Kors on down and Richard Mellon Scaife, all of them began funding these right-wing think tanks and creating media outlets. They, they created right-wing media, and they took over AM radio. They originally invented direct mail so that they could reach people. They understood the importance of having a voice out there. And we don't have a voice. Ninety-five percent of talk radio is now right-wing in this country, according to the Pew Foundation. And that has a tremendous impact on driving attitudes and the political response in communities across this country. If you're listening to Rush all day and you don't have any alternative, some of that stuff is going to stick to the wall. And the, the problem, as Mike says, is we're not getting the kind of funding that we need from people who ought to care about these issues and ought to understand them. You know, this is they, there's nothing more important than taking back some of the media control and having critics out there from the, from the progressive angle, like Air America, to start informing the public and reaching the public. And, you know, without this network, you know, the progressive movement's going to be real. I don't know where they're going to go. Yeah. Well, I, I'll tell you one thing, Kevin. Even if the Progressive Network doesn't stay alive, Bobby and I will continue doing what we're doing and we'll still build on what we're doing. Uh, but the, the, the problem is there's a concept called springboard, and the springboard works like this. Uh, the Drudge Report comes out with some plant by the administration. Typically, it's Carl Rove. Carl Rove plants with the, judge, the Drudge Report. Drudge Report then springboards that to radio talk shows. 
Then the neocons take that radio talk show platform and spring it to pe- places like Fox News, uh, MSNBC, wherever it may be. And all of a sudden, there is an air of legitimacy about issues like Swift Boat or legitimacy about something like the Whitewater, uh, which was nothing. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's the it's the right wing echo chamber, and it's actually even more organized than that. They do, you know, they have a meeting every Wednesday morning in Grover Norquist's office in Washington D.C., where all of the right wing media people, the White House, and seventy five think tanks, right wing think tanks, all gather together, and they decide what the talking points for the week are going to be, and they send that out through a fax tree, a two page memo to 2,200 hate radio jocks across America. And so you start hearing the same thing over and over and over again. And they can say, you know, they can take a guy like John Kerry, who was a hero in the war, won won three Purple Hearts, and in five days they can turn him into a sniveling coward. And they can take George Bush, who was a draft dodger, and make him look like he's some kind of a hero. I mean, just look at it time after time, whether it's Murtha, whether it's O'Neill, whoever it is, what Bobby just described is what we become the victim to as progressives. Uh, Bobby's more Democrat than I am. I call myself a progressive, but I'm moving further away from that Democrat label as I watch what's happening, the inability for that party to understand that this is the last great fight that we have to take back the media. And i got to tell you, Kevin, we're just grateful you listen to us out there. Um, regardless of what happens to, you know, progressive media across the board, at least from my stand and Bobby's, Bobby's stand, we're, we're going to keep the message coming. Well, Bobby and Mike, uh, I, I want to thank you so much for all your efforts. And just add one more thing, that maybe when you talk to influential people like uh, Soros and uh, Buffett and Bill Gates, just to to tell them if they do want to make a lasting benefit to the country instead of just handing money over to the uh, right-wing media during election periods and stuff like that. And even the Democratic Party has to do this, spend hundreds of millions of dollars like Kerry did, that if we had our own network, we'd be paying ourselves back instead of paying the enemy. That's why it it makes business sense to do it. We've made the argument they don't seem to understand it. program there. The reason I focus in on this so much is because a lot of people all often ask, hey, it's the, the media uh, controlled by the large corporations. Large corporations have agendas. Large corporations support the Republicans. Do you get? Did you get a sense at all that it was the corporation driving no. this or it was just on the local level? You know what? Uh, the corporation, as you just saw, they just sold the ABC radio networks to uh, Citadel, you know? 
<clears throat> corporate, the Disney corporate, you know, the radio for them is, just, you know, is, is is not a major operation. It's almost a nuisance. Yeah, it's a, just a, a so, in fact, that's why they sold it. Yeah. Right. So it was just the, the local PD right. there, the program director who just uh, is has always been wrong. I've known him a long time. I don't know him personally, but I've right. seen him right. around in the talk show circuit for a long time. His name is Phil Boyce, and he's 100% wrong, and I'm sure it's a terrible idea for me to say uh, this uh, well, as it, far as my career is concerned. It probably is. But Phil Boyce is nearly <laughs> retarded. And so... Uh, Remember, I, I didn't say this. Right. No, Richard isn't saying it. I'm saying it. So, <laughs> Phil Boyce, if you're going to come after me, Jank Ugra, I'll show you how to spell later, okay? And you're an idiot. You've always been an idiot. <laughs> and your decision to fire all liberals before the Iraq war not only proved to be disastrous for your station, but for the country. And you were proving and me you right. wrong. I mean, you were flat out yeah. wrong. Well, can I just and the reason something? you're wrong, yeah. but frankly, is because you're not very bright. You're a great American. <laughs> but here's another example, just very quickly. Sean Hannity has a caller on the radio. Uh, the guy is trying to articulate the uh, Genocide Act of 1988, the fact that we've tried to cut off funds for Saddam Hussein after Halabja, right? So the guy's talking to him about how George Bush, the first president, killed the bill, and we continued to supply Saddam Hussein with not only intelligence from the CIA, but materials and dual-use uh, 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 products that he could use to kill people. So Sean goes... Oh, you're a liberal. You just make this stuff up. Where'd you get that from? And the guy goes, well, I read it. He goes, well, where'd you read it? And the guy goes, I, I, I don't have it in front of me. Well, then you're just lying. You just hate George Bush. Why do you liberals hate the president so much? And you also hate your own country. You're blaming us for Saddam Hussein and hangs up on the guy. So he, Sean was in my uh, the studio that I used as well. So Sean leaves and, he, you know, during the commercial break, he steps outside. And I said, Sean, I just happen to have all the research right here. And it's all attributed. It's Reuters, UPI, AP. I said, I said, the guy was right. You really should look over this stuff, and you can come up with a counter-argument. And Sean starts laughing, and he goes, hey, keep that stuff away from me. I don't want to see anything that doesn't support my argument. That's, that's um, Sean Hannity in a nutshell And that is right a there. great, great uh, anecdote right there. And that's, that's, I love to hear stuff like that. Our next guest uh, is a woman who gets covered on CNN uh, simply for asking the president a question. Helen. What's so funny about me saying Helen? There was a little ripple in the room because the president stopped calling on Helen Thomas for a couple of years. Wait, let me finish. Look, 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 man. And when he had finished... It's kind of like dancing together, isn't it? Though Helen later joked, I don't waltz with this man.
She does not waltz with that man. She's Helen Thomas. Helen Thomas is a columnist with Hearst Newspapers. She's also the author of Watchdogs of Democracy, the waning Washington press corps, and how it has failed the public. Helen Thomas, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. The last time uh, we spoke on this show, you were talking about the press corps as as lapdogs. Do you, do you feel like they're getting any better recently? I think they are coming out of their coma. They're asking tougher questions. Thank goodness, uh, a little late on the switch, but uh, better late than never. When Monday uh, there was a press conference at the, at the White House and the president had that rather explosive outburst about the troops not coming home as long as he's president and really hollering about 9-11 not having anything to do with Iraq and whoever said it did. did when you were there in the room, did you feel like that emotion from the president was prompted by tough questions or did you feel like he was just in that kind of a mood anyway? Desperation. Hmm. Do you feel like it's the, the press corps is taking advantage of that, or that's just what okay. we're bringing to the table? I don't think you take advantage of a president who's, uh, you know, been able to stonewall a lot of these questions. The very fact, after three and a half years plus, we've been in a war, and he says there were no uh, no ties to Al Qaeda between Al Qaeda and 9/11. I mean, this is a, a very strong admission because well, it was one of the pillars of going to this uh, into this horrible war. Hmm. I, I just think that finally he's, he's blurted out the truth that when he said no, nothing, but more than that, no weapons of mass destruction or anything else. When are the American people going to wake up and say, hey, what, what's it all about, Elsie? Yeah. Well, you know, there's there's the issue of the justification for the war in the first place, and then there's also the issue of the strategy for the occupation now that we're there. And he had previously always said, as soon as the commanders on the ground tell me that the Iraqis have stood up, we will stand down and bring our troops home. Well, the other thing that he blurted out on Monday was that the troops aren't coming home as long as he's president. That, to me, felt like a big new declaration of American strategy, that there's no no troops will come home while he's president for the next two and a half years. It's it, a it, declaration it of the president's stubbornness yeah. in the face of reality. The reality is the Iraqis have a right to their own country, and we shouldn't be there. We should not be occupying a country. Why didn't that get covered as a bigger admission? The way that got covered was, oh, he's staying the course. He's, you know, he hates the Democrats. He's staying the course. That felt to me like actually it was a pretty important proclamation. Well, it really was a signal to to his uh, Republican supporters who who want to feel that it wasn't all in vain, hmm. and who really want to be able to stand on something. But they're they're jumping ship. But when McCain accused the administration of selling the war like a day at the beach, and now there's uh, Shays. A lot of them are uh, who's been to uh, uh, Iraq. I don't know how many times. More than 15, no, 14, I guess, or something. Anyway, he's come back and he uh, wants to put a little distance between himself and the administration. So I think people are reading the handwriting on the wall, which is we should not be there and we got to get out. What questions do you think uh, the press corps ought to be asking now about the potential confrontation with Iran? Well, obviously, uh, you know, do you have any military uh, uh, goals to, in Iran, and why don't you talk to Iran directly? What's the big deal? Mm. I mean, what is diplomacy all about? 
war is the end result. And so to abandon diplomacy and say, well, I won't talk to Iran, I won't talk to Syria, everybody's a terrorist, obviously, who's against us. He doesn't say that. I say that this is the, the view that is taken. Everybody's a terrorist. I mean, I suppose the American revolutionaries could be, could have been called the same thing by the Brits. Helen, let me ask you a, a procedural question about how things work at the White House. Um, the, we know that on for that Monday press conference where all this kind of very explosive stuff happened, they announced at 8.15 in the morning that there was going to be a press conference at, at 10. Reporters had to sign up within a half an hour of the announcement. Is that kind of short notice for reporters? Is that is that what they, they usually do? Is that par for the course? It was this administration because they don't want anybody there if possible. They want you to oversleep or whatever. They certainly don't want the experts there who could come running in. And, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's not much notice, and it's, uh, it's intimidating in a way. Everybody rushes in breathless and uh there's no reason for that because there was no, you know, emergency announcement. If there is, I've gone to the White House at 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. when there was an emergency. But uh, in this case, it was uh, it's, it's uh, a ploy, it's style. It's, uh, you know, keep keep everybody off guard. It seems like, I mean, in practical terms, it it's in, it's intimidating because it, like, reminds everybody who's boss. But it also keeps people, if, if somebody wanted to ask a, a well-researched, hard-hitting, nail-you kind of question, you don't really have time to do your homework in the half hour that they give you. That's right. Yeah. But the point is you should have those questions in my, your mind because those press conferences are few and far between yeah, I agree. Um, do you um, personally, from the uh, from the the catbird seat that you've got there in the press room, do you feel like? Uh, and nobody else is talking about this, but I've been talking about it. I wouldn't have described my seat as catbird. <laughs> <laughs> Little prickly, I can assure you. <laughs> I guess that's true. All week long, I have after the Camp David statement that he made, where he seemed to just completely lose his train of thought in the middle of talking, and then after the Monday press conference and this weird kind of fake seeming photo op um, with the man from St. Bernard Parish this week, all week long, I have felt like the president just seems a little kooky um, to me. He just seems just psychologically a little bit off. I, I don't I don't have any evidence for that other than his public statements. When you saw him in person on Monday, does he seem different? No, he just seemed a little bit angry, you know, that he's being challenged, and he seemed a little bit desperate to try to sell a war that you cannot sell because it's illegal and immoral. Mm. Well, Helen Thomas, thanks for joining us today. It's always nice to get your perspective on these things. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Helen Thomas is a columnist with Hearst Newspapers. She's the author of Watchdogs of Democracy, the waning Washington press corps and how it has failed the public. She's the woman who's sitting there in the front row at all the White House press conferences uh, while the president desperately tries to avoid allowing her to ask a question. He did. He did allow her to ask a question um, uh, this last time. But these but it was notable because those times are are few and far, far between.
Sal, Indiana, on the line. Hey, Larry, welcome to the program. Yeah, thank you for the things you do, Tom. You know, I was kind of hoping to ask that guy's question. You know, fascism needs all these hate groups. I hate to keep buying into these people. And you know what I'd really like to do is follow the money. You know, there's I don't. It's an untold amount of money, Middle East money, that's in that our policymakers match or uh, manage in this country. And that you know, the the thing of it is the. The war against their side of it needs massive amounts of money, and I have yet to hear anybody say where all that money comes from. You know. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's there's some some words to that. If there's some some interesting information about it, Larry, uh, at least with this new forty million dollar donation to the Republican National Committee that was given by uh, ABC yesterday and today. And uh, this is fascinating. Larry, thanks a lot for the call. Over at uh, Pensito Review, one of the one of the better blogs posted by John Potter, it's called or Ponder rather. It's called The Path to Scafe. And the question is who paid for ABC's forty million dollar document docudrama? Max Blumenthal's expose over at the Huffington Post on the right wing cabal between behind ABC's miniseries. The Path to 9-11 is a must-read. He says, according to Blumenthal, the show's producer, director, and writer are part of a uh, conservative insurgency within Hollywood. Connections to David Horowitz. And uh, then they go through this. Uh, However, the connection to the conservative power grid that may be the most interesting, however, is the production's ties to Richard Mellon's scafe. They say since the inauguration of Bill Clinton in 1992, Horowitz, Horowitz, by the way, has been a guest on this program twice, has labored to create a network of politically active conservatives in Hollywood. His Hollywood nest centers around his Wednesday morning club, a weekly meet-and-greet session for left-coast conservatives who have been graced with speeches by the likes of Newt Gingrich, Victor Davis Hanson, and Christopher Hitchens. The group's headquarters are at the offices of Horowitz's Center for the Study of Public culture or popular culture a think tank bankrolled for years with millions by right-wing sugar daddies like eccentric far-right billionaire richard mellon scafe he also financed scafe by the way also financed the arkansas project a 2.3 million dollar dirty trick operation that including paying sources for negative stories about bill clinton that turned out to be false so uh, you want to follow the money there's a place to start to the day yeah when i was still your golden boy back before you is why this is, in my mind, the lead story of today, and only on the Young Turks. Believe me, you go anywhere else. Go to a liberal website, go to a liberal show, go to a mainstream media, you're not going to get this. But this is from the CNN poll. We're not making this up. It's right from CNN.com. 43% of Americans still believe that Saddam Hussein was personally involved in the September 11th attacks on this country. 43% Right now, in September of 2006, five years later, that is a stunning number. How is the question phrased? I mean, sometimes that can play into it. Do you believe that the former Iraqi president, Saddam Hussein, was 
personally involved in the September 11th, 2001 attacks. Yeah, there's no way to get away from that. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. uh, really uh, nope. about as clear as the question can be. You know, it, it's it's unbelievable, and it's testimony, you know, I think to the gullibility of the people. I mean, every once in a while you have to really come down on the people for being so gullible. It's also testimony to the effectiveness of knowing how gullible the people are that you can pull this kind of stuff off because it, it reelected a president, this fact, and it still seems that, you know, nearly half of this country believes that. I also think it's a clear example that the press, I mean, I, I know we think they've done a better job in the last couple of years, but they still have not done their job. I mean, have we seen on the cover of the New York Times, Washington Post, L.A. Times, Saddam Hussein, not part of 9-11? Well, I mean, yes, clear, we have, frankly. We have clear, no. Never clear, on the front clear, page. clear, clear as day like that. I, I mean, absolutely. I mean, that should be like on the front page a bold of all those black headline. Well, and as, in, the, in that way, picture, no. But when Saddam Hussein's picture and George Bush's picture and like the whole thing, it should be just laid out clear as day because that would that's what it is. It's black and white fact there. Uh, it, it, we, in that in that way, it has not been on the front page, but it has been discussed. It has it has been referred to. It has been actually featured in a, in a series that the New York Times ran. But you have to uh, realize that I mean, well, that, I, I mean, think you, the majority of on, Americans Jack. don't really like, don't the really truth. thumb through the paper like we do. And I don't really think you know they watch the morning you know the morning shows on Sunday morning and you know listen to a lot of political talk. But you know what? When they're in Starbucks, they see the L.A. Times, they see the New York Times, and they see headlines. And that's what they take away. Ding, ding, ding. We have a winner. Jill Pike is 100% right, 0% wrong. Listen to me. 43% of Americans are dead wrong on a fact. On a fact. Okay? You know what that means? That is a colossal failure on the part of the press. There is no excuse for it. No, 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 no. There is no excuse. Of course there is. The excuse is that the people themselves have to have a curiosity about this. No, they don't. Of course they do. It is the job of the press to inform the American people, and they have failed utterly. You you would be hard-pressed to find, in the print press I'm talking about, a, a lack of discussion of this issue over the past 18 months in this country. It is inexcusable that the people do not take these... The, no. The time. Yeah, absolutely this, it is. You know, your argument, Michael, I mean, I hate to do this, but it's so tired blaming the American people. I, I, okay, have I, I blamed them always? No. Okay. But, but this fact, as you call it, has been put out there for American consumption now for over 18 months. No, and and me, the fact is that at a certain point, you have, to, you have to go to the people and you have to say, hey, you know, wake, as you would say, wakey, wakey. You know, you, you, have, to, you have to go there and, no. and, and yes, you, you, we are not, as people in this country, completely... God, Men love to defend the press, the Democrats and the establishment. You love it, man. I, well, I, first of all, I do they, love defending the There's nothing that the, the establishment Democrats. can do that is wrong. That's I, absolutely wrong, Jank. I mean, I, you're proselytizing now. That's not true. I, I am saying that the press has been completely uh, repugnant in their coverage of this administration, and they were up until, I would say, after the last election. I think it was inexcusable the way that they allowed those swift boat things to happen. I think it was inexcusable the way they were allowed the, they allowed the the vice president to say whatever he want without wanted without being checked. But I do think there's a certain point where you meet the press halfway. And if there is not an intolerance of that, then nothing is going to change. So the, the point here is that the president came out that and whoever the White House comes out and ties even tacitly this dictator to 9-11 when he had nothing to do with it. And it has been said over and over again, not in the way that Jill's saying, that's true, but it doesn't have to be a banner headline every day of the week. But see, even, Michael, I mean, look, 
I'll agree with you that 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 it has been all over the place. But I mean, it's it's been tucked and buried, and you really have to investigate a story like this, a story that has literally changed the face of 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 our country, that has had such an impact on the Middle East. Why isn't it? A bold face headline on the cover of Time, Newsweek, New York Times, Washington Post. Why is it? It's been why, 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 is it only, why is it only buried in dense, you know, articles that intellectuals read? Okay, hold on. I, I disagree that that's no, the case, no, right? no, 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 no. Again, Jill's 100 percent right, zero percent wrong. Okay, well, 98 percent. I wouldn't say just intellectuals read it, but listen. Uh, here's a perfect example. CNN runs their own poll. They run the story. They bury this amazing fact. In paragraph 7, okay, paragraph 7, do you think that's what it says in the headline? It doesn't mention it in the headline. Do you think it says in the first, second, third, fourth paragraph? No. They, oh, by the way, 43% of Americans are completely ignorant on why we went into Iraq in the first place. And then it just glazes past it. Number two, do you know in those last five years, and Newsweek, look, we've had the reporters on over and over and over. And let me tell you something. They've done some great work. And, it, and their reporters do an excellent job of going and finding out what's happening on the ground. And we learn from them, and that's how we form a lot of our opinions. But their editorial staff has been grotesquely negligent. In those five years between September 11th and today, do you know how many uh, covers they've, stories they've run on Jesus? About 88, okay? And Billy Graham on the Okay, the Billy other Graham, show. Jesus, Pat, whatever. Religion, religion. We love you, evangelicals. We love, you know when Jesus died? 2,000 years ago. No, how many cover stories have they run on Saddam Hussein was not personally responsible for 9-11? Iraq had nothing to do with 9-11. How many cover stories? Zero. Not one. Zero. N Newsweek, none. Time, none. All these uh, newspapers, these magazines, the television, television. You turn on, when's the last time? Blaring headline. Saddam Hussein, nothing to do with 9-11. Saddam Hussein, nothing to do with 9-11. They don't do it. Why do you think these people have this mistaken assumption? Michael, you are right when you say the Bush people lied to them, okay? Now they admit it. Bush said in a press conference, Saddam Hussein had... Quote, nothing to do with 9-11. The story that is so simple trumpeted. that there doesn't even need to be copy under the headline. Uh, but, but there, there is. But first of all, I, I don't think that we can say without question that that has never been a headline anywhere. I know for a fact that it has been a headline within a magazine. I don't know that it has or has not been on the cover of Newsweek or Time or, or U.S. News. I'd be surprised get, if more Zuckerman didn't. I get Newsweek and I read I'd, it I'd every be day, I do every too. week. I, I do it's too, Jim. It's never been on the cover. But I, I, you know, I, I don't know. You, you may be right. I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm, I just don't, I don't remember, and I, I would love to go through those covers. I'd be surprised if Mort Zuckerman didn't put it on the, in, on the cover of uh, when it was, you know, when the first discussion first came out of U.S. News. I know that this is a topic, though, that has been discussed, I think, in the last 18 months responsibly by the news media. And I think that it is something that we have come to. It got to the point so much so that the president was forced to say in a news conference the, that, that, was the, that that was the case. But that's the thing. And I, that, I mean, but that's well, the point no, that I was just going to bring right. up. The and president I, even said it in a news conference why it didn't make front page news the, pre the I mean, next that, day. Well, it did make because front page the news. If you read the not, newspaper, that was a featured part in black in the New York Times of what he was said. President finally concedes. Was what, it a what, banner uh, headline? What page? What page? Page one on the front page no, no, above Michael, the fold. Michael, no, I absolutely. See the when I, that's where There's I learned story it. in USA Today. Bush says he's made America safe. That's safer. where I. That's the headline. Well, okay, okay, Jane, you're talking about one story. Within the article, are never goddamn mentioned in the goddamn you're, headline. Uh, you know, it's it's impossible to talk to you about a con uh, no about because something. here I'll show it to you. you know, Whoa. 
I mean, USA Today, you're, you're not unreal. talking about USA Today. You're talking about one. Show the goddamn paper right here, okay? Uh, what does USA that say, Safer, Bush says. Picture, headline, USA Safer, Bush, Bush says. says. Okay, USA go. Today, go. you suck balls. You are a terrible <laughs> newspaper. You know what he did in that press conference yesterday and how we covered it? He lied over and over about how this was a war between Al-Qaeda and Iraq. It's not a war between Al-Qaeda and Iraq. It's a war between Shiites and Sunnis. Civil war that we're stuck in. And what does the USA Today incompetent loser say? USA Safer, Bush says. That is a lie. They've done a terrible job. Every one of these editors in every major newspaper, in every major magazine, in every major television news organization, organization should be fired today. 43% of Americans believe that Saddam Hussein was personally involved with 9-11. That is the worst failure of the mainstream press I have ever seen. Ever seen. And why do you think now 58% of Americans are opposed to the Iraq war? Do you know what that number would be if 43% of them didn't think Saddam Hussein did 9-11? That number would be like 3%. God damn it, they failed us. And if you're not angry about that, Michael, and any of you out there, then you're goddamn wrong, because you should be angry. I'm very happy to announce the successful return of the Best of the Left podcast, thanks entirely to the tremendous success of the Best of the Left community, who has come together to uh, to help contribute the clips that have made this and all of the following shows to come. Uh, if if you got involved with that, thank you so much. Keep it going. This is this is how this show is going to be run from now on, and uh, and I'm incredibly excited about the prospects for the show. If you don't know what I'm talking about or you weren't sure if you wanted to get involved, just go check it out. You can find links at bestoftheleftpodcast.com and there's plenty to read up on just to see what's going on and how it works and if you're interested in, in getting involved. Uh, every little bit helps if you if you want to you know, just donate five minutes of your time and, and just send one, one clip to the show or, or give us one bit of information. Every single bit helps, and everything is uh, very much appreciated. If you if you want to check out the message board directly, there's a link at uh, botlcommunity.com, and it's not just for uh, actually you know contributing to the show, but if you just want to meet other people who are who are listeners or uh, involved with with the community in any way, that's where you can find them. There are you know links and and message boards all around and and lots of great conversations are going to get started there i i just know it so check that out it is uh it's the engine that runs this show now and i'm ex extremely excited about that it's incredibly exciting to feel like you're a part of a, a new type of media. I, I really think that we're we're a small part of of this changing media landscape. I'm extremely proud to be a part of it and and to be involved in in such a way as I am. And I encourage all of you to to get involved in any way you wish. 
uh, you'll you'll be hearing lots of updates on on this and other matters, on shows to come, lots to talk about. Uh, had some time off, and now we're back and going strong as ever. So we will wrap this up for now and be back tomorrow for more of the same. Have a good one, everybody.